Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is a true adventurer. Uh, he was born in and lived uh, much of his life in Manchester, England, uh, a former paratrooper, but now calls Perth home uh, and is a career firefighter. Uh, outside of fighting fires, you'd be forgiven for thinking that uh, he might just want to uh, chill out and avoid any life-threatening moments and events, but he does the exact opposite. In fact, uh, no one in Australia has climbed Mount Everest more times than my guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Why does he do it? We're about to find out. Kevin Fairbrother, hello and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me. Let's start with the obvious question then. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, yeah, it's a common question. Um, and I usually say um, if you have to ask the question, you won't understand the answer. But in, in this case, I'll just say that um, for me, it started from when I was climbing uh, when I was younger, everybody wants to climb Everest. So, um, yeah. you know, you can't imagine you'd but ever... But few actually follow through. Yeah, well, it's unfortunately, it, money does come into it. I, you know, I wish that it didn't, but unfortunately it does. So not everybody gets that opportunity. But luckily for me, uh, later in life, I was 44, I think, when I first summited. Um, I got that chance. And it, it come down to physical and mental challenge for me. So not just mm. not just physically... Mm. You know, seeing how far you can go on top of that, you need to see how far you can go mentally. And uh, I think Everest, although it's not the most technical climb out of all the 8,000 metre mountains, it's it's by far the highest. It's way higher than, you know, A2, which is the second, which is way more difficult. But mentally, you have to see how you can cope with this altitude, and that's what attracted to me, it, yeah. to me in, the, in the first place. Love a challenge. Mm, yeah. Challenge. Live uh, by a challenge. And you've just uh, completed your fourth summit. Uh, yes. And you, you, you're toying with the idea of a fifth, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to a little bit later. But can we go back to who you were as a kid and, and where this sense of adventure really took hold? I mean, were you one of those kids growing up in the northern parts of England that was always trying to, you know, get off to nature and climb things and scale things? I, I was actually, I was. I mean, I mean, my mum would say that I, I was always falling off things and I was always ending up in hospital and it used to drive her crazy. So it, it did start very, very young, although I didn't realize it. But yeah, we, we just used to be out all the time climbing trees and, and you know, getting up to mischief. That's yeah. that's just what you did uh, in, in those days. So it probably does come from there. And then um, after when I left school, I joined the army and then we did a little bit of stuff there and it sort of just kept feeding the you know, the excitement for adventure, I really struggle. I need goals. I can't, I yeah. can't just do everyday life, um, sort of 
you know, I can do that, but I need a goal as well. You need to, to know to, that there's yeah, something coming. I need coming. to know there's something coming. Yeah, you know? right. I've, it's I've like a drug for like you. That. Yeah, it truly is. Yeah, yeah. it truly is. And, yeah. I, and there is other people like that. The ones you meet are like-minded people. So when you're out there, it's um, you, you don't you, you think you're the only one, and then you go out and you realise there's lots of other um, crazy people mm. as well. So, I mean, when you're growing up in, you know, the northern parts of, of England, what, what where was your mind going? Like searching for these adrenaline fixes where was your mind taking you oh, you know i want to do that next yeah i mean I, it, it wasn't to everest if i'm honest i mean we were we were uh, quite poor i suppose we were a, a council estate so we could just um get locally really into the hills into if we could get to the lake district it would mm. be you know a, an amazing thing so it was never a, a dream at first to, to be going to these big mountains uh again just realizing later on uh, when i started climbing and getting to Europe and doing a little bit more that it, it you know is actually possible at yeah. some point so, yeah yeah so you're a, a pretty restless kid sitting in a classroom wasn't your happy place yeah not really <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really didn't really come away from school with much to be honest but um <laughs> yeah I, I, you know it, it's expi- life experiences for me and yeah and that's you know I've, yeah. I've had I've had lots of those I've been yeah. really lucky so uh, so so gravitating that. towards the army was almost an obvious fit for you in hindsight. Well, it was a job really in them days. So we just did that and it was a job that give you a bit of excitement and, you know, and a bit of action. We, we didn't actually do anything uh, at that point. There was no um, battles going on. It was no just, conflict it was to a go job. to. There was no conflict mm. when I, yeah. when I was in. So it was, a, it was a pretty quiet time, but it, but it did sow the seed, you know, for more, for more action, if you like. Yeah. So what were you doing there? Paratrooper? No, well, I was in the engineers first, uh, full time, and then when I left, uh, I was in four para, which is a reserve parachute regiment, yeah. and then we mo- I moved on to two three SAS, which is a reserve mm. uh, SAS. So there's two two SAS, which is full time, and then there's two one and two three, which are uh, reserves, which mm. they use because they was they were so under the pump, the regulars that they didn't have enough numbers, so uh, they would use. Uh, these other guys, if you'd had some army experience generally, then you could join the 2-1 mm. and 2-3. Same training except for the jungle. We didn't do the jungle training. Yeah. But that, again, was, you know, it was feeding the, the excitement and the adrenaline. So, yeah, uh, that, yeah, it was good, good times. I've got to say, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I don't mind a little bit, <laughs> but I don't think I need a fix quite as big as you do, <laughs> clearly. Um, is there... Is there a sort of a, a phase you go through, you know, say you're, you're jumping out of planes pretty regularly, you know, the, for the first time, mm. it sort of blows your mind. Yeah. And, and I have done that, but I haven't gone back to do it again. Yeah. But I imagine for you when you do it all the time, does the thrill sort of plateau, the fix you get from it, does it plateau uh, for a while and you want to just up the danger every time well, just mili- to give you a bit more? Yeah, well, military jumping's not quite, it's all static line and it's quite... Um, you know, it's quick. You, you jump low, so you're not in the air very long, and you've got equipment. So it's not. It's still exciting all the time because there's a bit more danger. It's not. Uh, it's not like free falling. So there, there is a. There's a difference. Yeah. And I think it's still always. You know, you, you're. You're. Not, you never take it for granted. You've always got to be switched on, and you, yeah. And the adrenaline's still there every time. Yeah. So, and there's like there could be you know, 40 guys in the plane and you're going out either side at half a second intervals. So you, when you're in the air, there's so many, so many hazards around. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it was always exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> um, what brought you to Perth of all places? I mean, if you've got this uh, mountaineering spirit in you, 
Um, not a lot of mountains here. No. What have you said? Yeah. You know, Bluff Knoll's about as good as it gets yeah. in WA. Um, why, why Perth? I, I remind myself of that all the time <laughs> when I'm, when I'm on Jacob's ladder. Um, yeah, I, I had, I, I traveled as a backpacking with a friend of mine for a year and we, we went all over Australia. It was a world ticket. We went around the world and I always loved Australia and he actually came back before me and he was living in Perth. So I came over, you know, just to see and. I think I just that was it. I just ended up and life takes over and I, I um, got a job and then I was sort of stuck here. But then I kept traveling. So as long as I can travel, you know, Perth's a beautiful place, a great place to live. Unfortunately yeah. for training, it's not the best. So yeah. I've been doing Jacob's Ladder for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, you know, you drive past it, especially early in the morning, and, and it's like a cult mm. as you look oh, over yeah, there. Yeah, you know, yeah. these people who, I mean, you must all know each other, yeah? We know. I, I, you sort of turn up and yeah. I don't know how many runs up and down you do, but yeah, yeah. it is, it seems like like you've just sort of driven past, you know, this little yeah. cult of people who just have to do it to start their day. Different groups at different times of the day, you know, you can go in the morning, there's a, a set group probably that go every morning at lunchtime, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a group that you, you'll know and then in the evenings there's a group, so there's like different different people and I know a, a lot of faces I don't always know you know everybody to talk to but uh, there's a lot of people go all the time it's yeah. amazing but it's a great thing I mean when they were talking about closing it you know you would have been gutted it was uproar yeah it was yeah. Like, how can you can't do that but they never did in the end so, so in preparation for Everest are you charging up and down uh, Jacob's Ladder with backpacks on and that sort of stuff as well yeah so I use um I use a backpack, generally different different weights, and and do you know I'll probably go four times a week, but only sort of three months before the climb. Yeah. And I also go. Uh, I mean, I'm doing it all year round, but I only ramp it up with with heavy weight towards the climb. But I also drive down to the Stirling Range. So sometimes I'll just drive at four o'clock in the morning. I'll do three peaks and then get in the car and drive back. So I was doing <laughs> was doing that for a while, uh, but. Obviously, the price of fuels paid to that, so I can't do that yeah. anymore. Of all the challenges to get in your way, yeah, I'm starting yeah. to get an idea now of just, you know, quite how mad you are. Today, <laughs> <Kevin>. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest possible no, way. Sure. Um, let's tap into it a little bit more right after we take a break. Inspiring Stories uh, is the program. My guest is Kevin Fairbrother. No one in Australia has climbed more more uh, more times up Mount Everest, the world's tallest peak at almost 9,000 metres, uh, than Kevin. Uh, so we'll hear more about uh, those adventures right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. My guest in this episode uh, is a mountaineering legend uh, in this country, uh, having scaled Mount Everest four times, uh, and maybe there is a fifth trek up the Great Mountain uh, on the cards as well. But by day, Kevin, you're a firefighter, which, again, seems like... A pretty good fit well, for a man with your motivations and your mindset. Um, does that give you the thrill that you need or are there other things you get from the job, um, you know, that satisfy you as well? Um, yeah, I mean, on the whole, the job is um, it, when it's busy, we, we, you know, the adrenaline's going, so it can, yeah. it can definitely fulfil that. And, um, you know, station life with, with, with a, a group of guys and girls, um, you know, the camaraderie's good. So, I mean, it, it is a great job. 
Um, I often, and I shouldn't do, but I complain that we're not busy enough. And I guess I really shouldn't do that. Cause, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is a great job. And, it, and when, it's, when it's busy in the summer, mm. um, yeah, it's yeah. very enjoyable. Yeah. So searing heat or freezing cold, which is worse? Yeah, uh, worse. I always find the, the, the heat is probably the worst because the cold you can always... You know, you, yeah. I, I can put more clothes on in, in, when I'm away up in the mountain to a, to a degree. I mean, once you get to minus 40, then obviously it, yeah. it gets a bit much. But yeah. the searing heat here, if I'm at work, it's it's usually short-lived. So, uh, yeah. you know, we, we're only exposed for a, hopefully a short amount of time yeah. and then, uh, we're cooling down. So, but again, both both are good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> both a bit of excitement. Uh, are you in a, a similar sort of mindset as you tackle those extreme environments say you're you know you're fighting a, a significant bushfire you know and it's an an extremely hostile moment that mm. you're in um, mm. i'm just curious to know you know the the brain chemistry that's sort of guiding you at that point is it is it kind of similar to when you're in a really perilous moment you know up on a mountain when you're facing a, a hostile environment of a completely mm. different kind but, yeah but just as extreme i think i think it's um it's just a survival instinct, I think. Yeah. So you're always, and, and that's probably, that might be dramatising it a little bit, it's probably about awareness. So you've, you've got to be aware of your surroundings when you're up on the mountain. You've got to trust your instinct. I, I've often turned around if I don't feel right. I'm a big believer in what I feel inside. And if I'm if I'm going up somewhere and it's something's telling me not to do it, then I'll turn around with no questions asked. And it's the same in a fire, in a bushfire. If, if you're there and you find yourself in a position you, you know that's that's dangerous, or you think it's going to be dangerous. Then I have to. I think to myself, yeah. well, I have to change this, and, and we'll mm. go a different way, or, or you know, we'll we'll have a different approach. So I think it is very similar, different lengths of time. I think up on the mountain, you're you're exposed to that danger a lot longer, uh, whereas in the fires, you you and and plus there's much there's many more people to assist as well. But it, but it comes down to, um, I think, sort of survival and instincts. Mm. That's how I see it. That's yeah. how I view it. Your perspective on risk and danger, though, must be quite unlike, um, say, a normal person. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, I, I get it. There, there's a lot of fireys who, who enjoy it as well, I think, and, yeah. and probably given the opportunity to climb, they, they would do the same thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think I'm willing to maybe push it a little bit more than than some people um, it, is this a thing in the fiery community then like it, it's far from sort of just avoiding danger and going and chilling out and doing something very sedentary in your downtime <laughs> um do, do a lot of fireys go and do that do they go and seek extra adventure elsewhere yeah i think there's a, there's a lot of guys do a lot of fitness there's definitely yeah. a lot of fitness involved you know there's a lot of um surf skiers there's a lot of swimmers you know there's, there's, there's a lot of runners they're, they're all fitness orientated yeah. i mean maybe maybe the danger side of it is it's hard to find in in some things but i've taken groups so i've i've, I've do expeditions usually with friends and and uh people that I, friends of friends and I've took the guys from work we went to mm. Paul and did a trip there so that you know they enjoy it they love it they all want to go so it's um yeah it's they must all have it in You've the mind another yeah. cult then that's right they all, they all <laughs> we often we're often planning the next one so yeah uh, yeah tell me about the planning then for the very first one um I know there must be a lot to go into it a lot of money has to go into it yeah um preparation on many levels um, yeah. how do you actually Plan ahead yeah. for well, the, the a first, trek up Everest. The first one was the unknown, really. So yeah. it was—I never knew 
had a, I didn't have an idea of how fit I'd have to be. So I was training really hard. I was younger then as well, so obviously it was easier to, to keep fit. But it was it was difficult to read. Um, Skills-wise, I thought I'd be okay for climbing, but the level of fitness and how you'll react to altitude was, you know, something you can't train for. I mean, I did go to um, other mountains. I went to Denali in Alaska. That's about uh, six over 6,000 metres, but it's still not... It's not the same, but it is a tough mountain. So after that, I knew, you know, I had an idea of where I was at. Um, Money-wise, it it was just, um, I said, it was like I said, it was the dollar was good then. So now yeah. you, you're paying in US dollars, so you're always paying US dollars. So at the moment, it's it's going to be quite expensive yeah. for any Australian to what, go. What, what would it cost? If I said to you today, I want to climb Everest <laughs> hopefully you talk me out of it but uh, you know on the financial front what would I have what would I be up for you'd, you'd probably have to be you'd be looking around 40,000 US right now right so, so that all and that gets you what a guided that um, will get tour you up there basically it's basically everything so it gets you uh, accommodation when you arrive in Paul it gets you um, the trek into base camp all yep. the lodges all the food and it gets you oxygen on the mountain food on the mountain it gets all the camps in between all the way to the summit you have to pay for the fixed rope so the permit itself to climb everest is eleven thousand us dollars yeah right so it's quite uh, expensive because of that straight away um but you can also there's different levels that people do it so you can have more oxygen if you want if you're feeling that you'll you'll need more yeah i'd be um, i'd definitely be signing up for that yeah you can have a you can have a personal <laughs> sherpa if you like so he'll stick yes. with you all the time so that would be uh, that's more expense so yeah it it can be it can become dear yeah, definitely you might have just priced me out there, kevin <laughs> tell me about your first time up though um, I, I can just imagine the excitement in you. Oh, uh, well, it was it itching was, to get up there. Yeah, it was a fantastic uh, climb, that one. It was probably so the conditions every time I've been have been different. Um, and, and that year was probably the best year. Uh, when I say different, like the, the, the snow on that year was perfect, there was just the right amount of snow. The year after, the, the next time, there was no snow, so it was a lot more rocky and so on and so on. So every time you go, it's different. But my first year was just. It was just perfect. Everything mm. went well. I did have a little trouble at one point between um, Camp 2 and, and, and Camp 3. I was going towards the Lotsy face, and I, I was talking to this guy, and all of a sudden the, the words that I was saying were coming out jumbled. They weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't making any sense. So I, mm. knew, I knew what I was saying, but I, I, it wasn't coming out that way. So I just sat down for a bit and just kept saying my name over and over again until it come back to normal. So I never actually found out what that was. I assume mm. it was something to do with altitude, but I didn't tell the guy at the time because I thought, well, we'll just stop my climbing yeah. and I yeah. didn't want that. So I just are, carried are you, on. Are you in a group, can I ask? Or are you, uh, no, are so you there was just that. Own? Yeah, so there'll be, there's, in that expedition, there was 12 people. So you sort of, we were all individuals, but you all use the same camp. So you can climb yeah. on your own. You can, you can you can have a personal Sherpa if you like, but I you know, I like to think, you know, you've got to do it on your own. If you can't do it on your own, you probably shouldn't be there. But um, So I just got friendly with the, this guy, Nelson, and we would sort of go in at the same pace, so we, we'd just climb together. Um, so, yeah, after that, um, we got up to three, and the conditions were great. It was, you know, it was really, really good. Uh, we set off at uh, 8 p.m. from uh, the South Col and in the dark, 
and we were going that well that we were we were on the summit at four in the morning and it was dark i couldn't see anything so yeah. i was i thought well, i've come all the way up and i can't even see anything so i sat there for like an hour and a half and waited for uh, the sunrise to come yeah. up and it was the best move ever because i could just see this golden band of sunlight coming across tibet and uh, you know the curvature of the earth you can see and it was just moving towards me it was just magical nobody there none of these big queues that yeah. everybody speaks about and it was it was, it was quiet it was, you know it was it was really good yeah, yeah it was really good i'm fascinated when i speak to people who've done these sorts of things um you know, some of them have said when they got to the top, they, they barely remember it or mm. they didn't really get to spend much time there or um, the weather wasn't right. Couldn't see much any, even if they yeah. wanted to. Yeah. But because I imagine that when you get there, I just want to sit there and, you know, get the lounge chair out and, mm. you know, yeah, yeah. have a cup of tea and take it all in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it, obviously, I know there's no couch up there. Yeah. Kevin, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, um, you can still sit. It's <laughs> interesting to, you know, that you actually got a chance to, just hang out up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's weather dependent, and that's and, where and take it in. Yeah, yeah. Where, where luck comes into it. So if the weather's good, uh, you know, you can spend a bit of time up there. It's all on the wind as well. So if it's, if, you know, it can be minus ten, but you can bear that. You know, you can sit yeah. there. But if the wind's howling as well, it's going to make it like minus twenty, minus thirty. Yeah. You're not going to want to stay. You're not going to want to stay too. Yeah. Long. But um, it, it is possible if the weather's good and if you get lucky, yep. which I was. Um, yep. But I had a guy while I was there waiting in the dark who come up and touched the summit and went back down again. So he, yeah. he wasn't even interested in it. Was just about that's what I mean. Summit. I find yeah. that odd. Yeah. Well, my, mine's more about the experience. I, yeah. I love being up there. And, yeah. And it, get, it does get a lot of negative press, but yeah. you know you can see beyond that when you look yeah. around and you look at the view and you, you think about where you are. And yeah. You just take the time to think about yeah. it. Then it's it's magical. You know, it really yeah. is. And if you had to sort of uh, you know describe to people what is it like? What is the view like? It's standing on top of Mount Everest. Can you can you put it into words, or is well, it too hard? Well, I mean, I don't think you there's anywhere you can see the actual curvature of the Earth, and I, and you can literally see when I and, and maybe you need that golden band of sunlight to to bring it up, but you could you could see it coming around, and it, and it's just, I mean, the views are great all the way up. I mean, mm. when you look around in the mountains, I can I can be in mountains anywhere, and I'll love the view, you know, or in the countryside, I'll I'll, I'll love it, but. What's different about Everest is you, you're so high, so you look around and these other 8,000-metre mountains that are on their own are huge mountains, but they look small compared to this one. You're just yeah. looking down on everything. It's just amazing. Mm. It's, it's, it's super, super exciting. But I do understand why people don't stay long because they're worried because getting down is, yep. is, is but, usually the, where the but, trouble starts. Yeah. So yep. you've got to always remember in the back of your mind that yeah. you've, you're only halfway, so you've got to get down. If you don't mind me asking, are you a, a religious person, Kevin? Was there any kind of spiritual element to the experience as well? No, no, I'm no? not. I have to be honest, I'm not, not at all. But maybe along the way, sometimes with a few near misses, I might be, I might be, yeah. I might be There's talking some sort of to divine somebody. power out there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, not, not, no. not really. So it's no. not a what you would describe as a religious experience. No, no, not there. for me. No, no. just toil and hard work and <laughs> yeah. uh, and excitement when you reach the top yeah, yeah. that's it yeah amazing um we need to take another break but uh, kevin I'm, I'm sure you know many people who climb everest it's a bucket list so they do it once mm. uh, and they're satisfied with that tick it off the list move mm. on to the next adventure mm. uh you're obviously not one of those people so i again <laughs> the question is why i'll ask you that right after we take a break inspiring stories uh, in this episode with mountaineer and four-time conqueror of Mount Everest, 
Kevin Fairbrother back with more of his story in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. My guest in this episode uh, is the only man in Australia to have conquered Mount Everest four times. Um, We've just covered your first experience uh, up and down the mountain, Uh, Kevin. At what point did you go, I think I'd like to do it again? <laughs> on the way down. Really? Actually. Well, I, I, my initial thought was I'd like to try it without oxygen because that's like the ultimate. Without any without, oxygen? Without oxygen is the ultimate. Um, and how, how rare is that? Uh, oh, yeah. There's, there's a handful of people that have done it without like, oxygen. Literally yeah, just, a, yeah. yeah. It's, it's rare. It's but nuts, it's, right? It is. It's, yeah. it's dangerous. It's very yeah. dangerous. I, th- I, I can't quote the exact percentage, but something like one in four without uh, would would probably die. So it's it's uh, there's not many people do it. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Sound, that number, sounds like it's that's yeah, that's a it, good thing. It, it, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, even the Sherpas on uh, summit pushes with with clients will use oxygen. They, they, I mean, they have there, there is Sherpas that have summited without, but generally when they're working, they will use it as well. They just use less liters per minute, so yeah. they, they'd probably be on one liter, and your average. Yeah. Uh, climbers probably on two, two and a half, something like that. What's altitude sickness like? Uh, well, luckily for me, I've no, I've never really uh, had it. I've seen people with it, um, and it, the, the problem with recognising it is, is it feel it, it looks just like somebody who's tired anyway. You know, you're, you're tired and you're not quite sure what's going mm. on because you're high up and you and you you look like you're drunk a little bit, and that's why it's difficult to recognise. And some people don't until they're coming down. They don't actually realise that they've got it, and this is this is the problem. And so it's, it can be a subtle creep. It, it can be subtle. It's yeah. not just a sudden um, a sudden thing where people can see clearly that you, you're in mm. trouble. So it's um, you have to be careful with it. Um, you don't often see it as a climber. I've not often um, I've come across bodies, but I've not actually come across somebody who's who's in the process of dying through yeah. altitude sickness, so yeah. the, the symptoms. Are... So the the road to the top of the mountain, there are bodies there visible to you when you're going up and down. Yeah, there there are depending on the weather. So if there's been a lot of snow, then generally they're covered. Um, yeah. If the, if it's a dry year, which it was this year, uh, then you you can see pretty clearly. There was um, a guy up on the summit ridge this year who was just. He he was there was a, a rock slab that you had to go about about forty five degrees and you had to try and get across it and he was sat there and originally I thought he was just somebody sat having a rest and then I realised that it, he was um, he was actually dead and I, I looked into it and he's been there probably three years so just you, got, you, you literally just have to step body. over him yeah yeah so anybody who's summited this year has, has had that experience where instead of it just being a nice summit. Uh, for themselves, they've had to remember going over this guy. So uh, they they are there, and you and most people know that it's, you know, that that can happen. I mean, I think yeah. you have to accept when you go there that um, you either might see dead bodies or that somebody on your expedition mm. could get into trouble. It, it is a reality. It's yeah. not glorified. It is it is a reality. Yeah. There was actually two on the summit ridge this year, which uh, I've never seen that high before. Usually they'll they'll push them off the edge. It's too difficult to bring them down. So they're literally high. just... They will literally probably the contact the family first yeah. and make sure, you know, that's all right. But it's so difficult to get off that ridge with, with a body. It, yeah. It's, it, you, you're going to risk more lives. So generally they just... Yeah. 
they just throw them off. So what goes through your mind when you are trying to concentrate on, you know, where your feet are going and where you're generally moving? Yeah. And you suddenly see that in front of you. It must be yeah. sobering, to say the least. This year it was. I was surprised this year. I've seen them before, but not normally that high. And I was, I was surprised. At first I thought he was, he was resting. And then the guy in front of me, he sort of froze and, and he, he couldn't move. And then I realised he'd, he'd seen this guy and realised he was dead. So we had to, you know, we had to get him moving and get around him and, and push on to the summit. And then as we go over the next ridge, th there's another guy there. So it was a bit sobering this year, but, you know, not not unexpected. I mean, for me at work, I, I, unfortunately, we do see that sort of thing. But for, for some people who've never seen that before in their lives, it would have been a bit of a shock this year. Yeah. And are you generally someone who is just not afraid of injury or, dare I say it, your own mortality? Is this something that's not present in your mind? Because, you know, some people do uh, fixate on it. Mm. I think it's in the back of everyone's mind to some degree. Yeah. Um, but what, what's your personal perspective on it? No, I think I do get I get worried. I think you, you have to have fear. If you've not got fear, then, you, you know, you're yeah. going to get yourself into trouble. And I, I think... It's, Fear is what keeps you alive, really. So I do. It might be a different level than than other people, but um, it, it's definitely there. I mean, yeah. at some points along the way, if, you know, if it's a if if it's a tricky bit of the climb and it, and there's it, it a huge uh, drop, then definitely I'll be cautious mm -hmm. and I'll be I'll be worried for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's good. I think yeah, that's good. Uh, forgive me for asking those questions if they're you know practical to the point of crude, but. Do you have life insurance? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm not. I'm not married with no children, so that's why uh, I don't really need life insurance. Yeah. But I'd probably struggle to get it. Um, it. It's even very difficult to get any sort of insurance over there. I can so, imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a company, uh, Global Rescue. They're a worldwide company, and they will insure you for rescue only. Uh, right. It's not life insurance, but they will try and get you out. In the They'll mountain. help you out if you're rescuable. That's right. If yeah. that's even a word. Well, you can only be rescued below uh, Camp 2 or below anyway, so yeah. the helicopter can't, yeah. can't get up any higher than that. Um, do you say goodbye or even sort of <laughs> if I don't make it back, you know, I just want you to know, da 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 da, da. Do, you, do you reach out to loved ones and say those sorts of things? I, I have, I have actually, I have, I usually do it jokingly, but, yeah. you know, with a bit of seriousness in there, so yeah. I, I do, I do actually, you know, say yeah. you know, there is a chance, but everyone goes, oh no, don't be ridiculous, but, you know, yeah. the reality is there is a chance. That's so, what I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah you yeah. can joke about it, yeah. but there so is I make a real plans, I, I have a will and that, I do make, I do make some sort yeah. of plans. I don't mean to take us into grim territory. No, 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 that's um, fine. But what, I mean, what about your, um, you know, friends and, and, and family? Do they just sort of go, oh, Kevin, please. Just keep your feet on, yeah, uh, on the on the ground at uh, at sea level I for a while, they, if you wouldn't mind. No, because they know me and they know that's you know that's yeah, not gonna you can't it's not it. gonna work for me. No, age is probably gonna get me eventually, but until then, <laughs> I'll just keep keep doing stuff. Um, but they 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 just know. I mean, it's you know, my mum, she's still back in the UK, but she'll. Yeah, she doesn't. You know, she doesn't say anything because she knows. You know, I'm gonna go anyway. Yeah, and, and that's it. So yeah. Um, but I did, stop, did yeah. have a little scare this year because I was coming after, after the summit. We got down to Camp Four, and uh, I'd been taking my goggles off on the on the um, on the climb. And I, I'm aware of um, uh, getting some some blind because you know you so I open the reflection off the sun, and I kept uh, because they were steaming up my oxygen mask and the and the goggles weren't a bit of a rookie error, but they weren't compatible. So I was steaming up, so I took them off. And when I got back to Camp Four. 
uh, I could feel my eyes starting to sting and I thought oh, oh, I could be could be in a bit of trouble here but I, I kept we were spending the night there and uh, by nine o'clock I couldn't see anything so I'd gone I'd gone blind uh, I, they would just kept watering and stinging like it's like sticking needles in your eyes and it, in the morning, as I said, there was another guy, a French guy there, and I said, I've just got to get going, you know, we need to get moving because I can't see anything. Wow. And uh, for the first time, I mean, normally I've been all right, I suddenly realised that I've got to get myself off this mountain. If I don't go, if I don't move now, I'm going to be in big trouble. So all I could see um, was this guy's red boots. He had these red, big red climbing boots on, so I just followed, I had made him go in front of me and I was just following these like a blur. Wow. And then we got to the Geneva Spur, which is like the first um, big drop. Uh, and you have to just, you can't abseil because the ropes are too tight. So you yep. have to just hand wrap. So I, I sent him first just to make sure there was nobody on the rope and then just had to come down and I couldn't see a thing. And it took us seven hours to get down to camp two uh, with no mm. with no sight at all. So, But what occurred to me was that... Um, this is where, you, you know, I think your, your mental strength, this is what I realised. I've always said, you know, you need to help yourself on this mountain because there, no, there was no Sherpas there. We, we, we were just would have been stuck there. So if I hadn't have helped myself, I would have still been there. And I kept thinking of these other guys that were at the top. So we got down to Camp 2 and then we had to jump across crevasses. I couldn't see these crevasses that we had to go across. So, so you're just still following the red boots? Just, the red boots and he'd say when to take off. So And we'd already been up over them, so they didn't have any ladders. They were they were just enough that you could jump. Yeah. You know, and But obviously I couldn't see where I was taking off, so we'd <laughs> have to say, right, jump now. It was the, it was the craziest. Like doing it with a blindfold. Cra- absolutely. It was the craziest, most nerve-wracking thing thing that's ever happened to me up there usually it's gone smoothly but this year was a bit of a nightmare but yeah but yeah we got down and uh yeah it was it lasts about two days and then so you, your vision back. slowly came back just or? slowly comes back so yeah. the next day i could just see a little bit more and then three or four days later. and what was it as a blood pressure thing in your it, eyes or something it's about um it's really sunburn of, of your eyes so right. reflection off the sun coming yeah. up and, and then it, it damages your eyes. Mm. It's not permanent, luckily, so I was all right uh, yeah. afterwards. But, yeah, I think um, it, it was a – I always want a bit more adventure and I definitely got it this year, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you still haven't answered my question why. I still don't know if I've got a satisfactory <laughs> answer to that. Uh, and then I don't really know. I don't question, know. You know after doing that, basically uh, blinded, um, you're talking about going back for a fifth time, which is just extraordinary. And I'll get you to explain uh, why that's on the cards as well right after we take another break. Kevin Fairbrother is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Back with more of his story after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest in this episode is Kevin Fairbrother, uh, who we've just uh, talked about has uh, conquered Mount Everest no less than four times, which is an Australian record. Uh, A fifth is on the cards, which I'll ask you about in a moment, uh, Kevin. Again, the question why. 
uh, seems obvious. But just from the, the pictures that you've painted so far of your, you know, your treks up and down, I can just imagine the sort of camaraderie and relationship you have with other people who help you along the way. I mean, whoever it was that mm. wore the red boots that mm. was your only sort of, yeah. you know, tether yeah. to safety yeah. on the way down on your fourth trek. You must have a special kind of relationship with these people that you couldn't establish in any other context. I think to start with, any, anyone that goes there, you, you're usually like-minded, you know, the like-minded yeah. people who, who, who love the challenge and I'm not quite sure uh, that's what Olivier, he was a French guy, Olivier, I'm not quite sure that's what he had planned for his no. descent, but uh, no, he was definitely a, yeah. good, a, a good help. You know, he was in front so I could see that the ropes were clear, there was not there was no trouble, they weren't tangled because that would be the big problem, abseiling and coming across a, a knot in the rope, then you're going you're gonna to struggle to get past that if you can't see. So he was definitely a help. Yeah, yeah, and, and and most people there would do that. The trouble is a lot when they're on the ascent, they're going past you. They don't want to risk their ascent mm. for somebody going down, and I, I was well aware of that. And and I was quite comfortable. I've done it four times. I know the route. I know the ropes. I know exactly where I'm going, even though I couldn't see. So I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't really want to upset any other people going up to the top. So I yeah. just quietly little bit of worry in my mind but I was yeah. quite confident I'd be able to get down yeah the, the crevasse part when the ropes have gone so you've got no ropes at that part that was a, a little <laughs> bit of a worry at that point but uh, we, we made it we got down and uh, uh, it, it seems a miracle you're here in the studio with me right now to, <laughs> to tell us all about these incredible adventures it probably wouldn't surprise people having listened to this to know that uh, it's not just on the mountain that you seek your thrills tell me about the open ocean race that you've also done, the Golden Globe race, yeah. which uh, I, I dare say many people wouldn't be familiar with. But again, on ter- in terms of the kind of crazy adventures yeah. to yeah. set your sights on, this is right up there as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I so I do sailing. I've been sailing for 11 years and um, I actually lived on a boat in the Hillary's for three years. But a friend of mine sent me a text message and said, oh, I think this race is for you. I'd, n- I'd never heard of it myself, but it was called the Golden Globe Race and it was a uh, solo unsupported circumnavigation of the world using just celestial navigation and, and no modern technology. No GPS. No GPS, no, no nothing. No weather guides at all? No, you wouldn't even get any information about No information whatsoever. About a monsoon you, you, approaching. You have an HF radio, and if you can reach people on that, then, then you can get information, as you would in, in the old days when the first race happened. So it was yeah. a recreation of the first ever round-the-world race that Robin Knox Johnson was the only finisher. Yeah, so he sent me this text message, and before you know it, I've got a, a, a new boat and I sailed it from Sydney back to Perth and then we shipped it over to France but unfortunately I, I didn't finish and uh, I had a few issues with the boat and a few issues with myself if I'm honest about because you're on your own for quite a long period of time. Mm. How do you go with that? I, don't, I wasn't sleeping so the problem was sleep so I couldn't trust there was a lot of shipping around at that stage I was going through the Bay of Biscay and around towards the Canaries and there was a lot of shipping around so I couldn't relax and I think it's an art a solo sailors must get it off to an art to go down below and sleep for a yeah. couple of hours while yep. the boat's just sailing itself. So I did struggle with that. Well, I had problems with my mast and deep down, I just had, I trust in my feelings and I believed, I, I just had a bad feeling that it wasn't going to work out with yep. this mast. So I did pull out. Uh, it was a blow to my my pride, but uh, I've learned to deal with it and I've learned from it. And I found out later on that the, the new guy bought the boat. The mast did actually come down when he was crossing the Atlantic. So that made me feel a little bit, yep. a little bit vindicated. But yeah, I mean, it was it was adventure. It was actually harder. I I think that was harder than climbing Mount Everest. To be on your own, it would take possibly seven or seven or eight months, which yep. is a long time yep. to deal with yourself. It's 
climbing is a lot about mental challenge to me and to see what you're capable of. Uh, and I think people are capable of much more than they realise. But to be on be on your own for that length of time, I, I think, would be a massive challenge. Bigger, yeah. bigger than climbing Everest. I can see it just mm. irks you a little bit that you didn't get there. Yeah, it's it, still, it, it's it still an still itch. I've list? got a scratch. Yeah. It's still there. It goes every four <laughs> years and they're actually going uh, in September, the second race. So maybe the third race. I've got <laughs> four years to get prepared. Yeah. You've talked about uh, already going up Mount Everest for a fifth time. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, that thrill is still there for you. I, I would go every year. I, I, really? I, I love it. It's, I have no issue with it. I, I would, uh, obviously financially I can't, but uh, the last three times I've been, I've been working for uh, other people. So I, I, I don't get paid, but I get the trip for free. And, right. I, and I, I would, yeah, I would do it every year. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next year we've, there's been talk of, doing it for telethon. So yep. uh, that, you know, sort of made me think, well, actually, that's a good idea. So uh, Yeah. We'll Not see. that you needed any extra Well, that's right. It was, a, it was just one one sentence and that yeah. had me sold on it. So, yep. all right, I'll do that. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it pans out. And, and what else is on your bucket list? Uh, well, I've got a dream. So I'm a dreamer and I have goals. So my, my big dream is to do uh, seven seas, seven summits. So obviously the, the highest mountain on each continent. Yeah. And uh, I want to sail seven seas. So I want to do it in one trip. So we sail, you sail there, you climb, you get back on the boat, you sail across to the next <laughs> one and just do that continually. Uh, it's never <laughs> been done. And it's a, a dream that I've been thinking about for a long time, but obviously it, it, How long would that take you? It would take a while because of the seasons that yeah. you can climb and the seasons for crossing the oceans, but I I, I think um, you know, you're probably looking at three years, I think. But three years? I could probably <laughs> I think I could do that <laughs> but having crew on the boat and stuff like that, so it's not like yeah. a solo uh, you know, being on your own for that length of time. Are you someone that sort of works um, in that pattern of uh, you exert yourself, then there's a reward and then exertion reward along the way. I guess I'm thinking, you know, if it's taken three years, would you give yourself the opportunity to actually just kick back in a cool little seaside town for a week I, and I think so. and have a yeah. few bites? Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of um, adventure like that it involves for me as well is enjoying the places that you're going through and the surrounds that you're in. So it's not just to focus on... Uh, on, on just climbing to the summit and that's it and just sailing so the journey itself is, is part of the thrill I think on that one it's yep. a different sort of adventure because it takes so long but yeah I mean it, hopefully yeah <laughs> and in terms of um, uh, inspiring people to you I mean uh, hopefully people listening to what you've accomplished is inspiring to them but um, where do you seek your mm. inspiration from who are the people that sort of make you just sit back and go, wow, that's an incredible achievement. Yeah, I, I read a lot of biographies. I, I used to I used to love reading about people, not just climbers, you know, anybody. Um, Mike Groom was an Australian climber. I read, read about him. But any anybody that that, that can, Ranulph Fiennes, the English uh, adventurer, when he did Mind Over Matter was a book he wrote about crossing the Antarctic. I just love that, that um you know the the story and how how they were in their mind and how they cope mm. with it. I do I do like that sort of stuff, but I do struggle to if if somebody's doing a live. I can read books, but if somebody's doing a live uh, show or something, I struggle to go because I want to do it rather than listen to it. <laughs> so it's it's it is a little barrier I've got that I, I can't do. But yeah, I I love the facts, and I'd never thought about inspiration 
coming from me as a person and, until you know not too long ago. But somebody, as you've said, you know, if you can inspire somebody, if I can inspire one person just to get out and do, it doesn't have to be at Everest, you know, just no. to go out and push themselves a little bit and have some fun and, and do something they never thought they would do, then that gives me as big a thrill as mm. climbing to the summit. It, you know, I didn't realise, but I was amazed and people were saying this, oh, you're inspiring me to do this. I thought, wow, you know, and it, it, it's mm. a good thing. I, I really I really like that. But my inspiration come from early climbers and sailors and stuff like that. Mm. And I still read it and it gives me, I mean, the last two years have been hard because we weren't allowed to go anywhere, but I was reading more and more and getting more frustrated. But then eventually <laughs> we were allowed out. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. And, uh, and, in that sort of process of, of inspiring people, I'm sure you've got uh, stories of people who've come to you and said, you know, can you get me ready for an Everest climb? Yeah. Prepare I, uh, someone yeah, for that. I, if I, I said so. to you, Kevin, yeah. you've inspired me, yeah. let's do it. Next summer, we're going. Yeah. I think if you'd have asked me the first time or, the, or even the second time, I would have probably been a little bit, you know, dubious. I could give advice. But I, I think now I, I've done it enough, I've seen enough that I could I could definitely mm. uh, help somebody, get, give them the, the best chance they've got of getting to the summit. Obviously, you need a little bit of luck. As I said yeah. earlier, I need... I need luck. There's no guarantee that I will get to the summit. You know, you've, everything's got to go right. It's all yeah. got to align. But I can definitely give somebody the best opportunity. You can give it a, a red hot crack. E, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Without a doubt, yeah. Well, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not entirely convinced <laughs> that it's for me. <laughs> but like, if I do suddenly get the urge, I'm going to give you a call, Kevin. It's very addictive You're once the you start. first it's, person yeah. I call. Right. Hopefully well, you'll talk me out of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin, thank you so much. Congratulations uh, on everything you've achieved so far. Thank you. And uh, we'll be following you closely if you do decide to uh, get the boots back on and head up for a fifth time, which Thank would you. just extend your uh, your status as the yeah. uh, as the most conquered climber uh, in this country. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's it. We'll be watching closely. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.